all throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, you see when people have this encounter with God, we see uh, a dramatic response. And the response usually says this, they went away glorifying God. In fact, we've been going through the Gospel of John. We've been walking through Jesus's life and we see when people have this encounter with him, they, one, they're overwhelmed, they're in awe, and they walk away glorifying God. And, and like I said, we see this all throughout Scripture. Now, what in the world does it mean uh, when we read glorifying God? Well, Webster's Dictionary says to uh, glorify something means to make glorious by bestowing honor, praise, or admiration. So when we talk about glorifying God, it's to recognize God for who he is and to respond in obedience and worship. Okay, so it's to come to that point where you recognize, you understand who he is, you're in awe of him, and in response to that, you do whatever he asks you to do while praising him. Okay, now for some of you, um, it, it was a moment like that. It was, a, it was a very dramatic moment, and, 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 in, and, and whatever it was that happened, uh, maybe you survived something. Maybe it was just a, a word, a phrase, a song, um, scripture, and it just hits you. And in that moment, you are confronted with this perfect and holy God, and you are just caught up in how great he is, how much he loves you. And what do you do in response to that? You just praise him. And whatever he leads you to do, you're like, I'll do it. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say, God, right? And, and so we find ourselves in that place. And, and for some of you, maybe it wasn't a dramatic moment. Maybe it was this buildup. And then all of a sudden, you just find yourself completely surrendered to the will of God and just praising him. You know, that's not a mistake or an accident. In fact, what we see is throughout Scripture that God has designed every person and everything to glorify him. Okay, so that's our purpose. In fact, uh, when, we, when we talk about um, glorifying him, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, uh, it says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Okay, so whatever you do with your body should what? It should glorify God. <laughs> whatever you eat or drink should glorify God. Whatever you do, so every thought, every action, every activity, I should be asking myself, who does this glorify? Does this glorify God? In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, it speaks to Christ's preeminence and it speaks to how things were actually created for him. So when we look at how we've been created, we haven't just been created to be like, oh, wow, that's cool. Look at the humans I just made. Like, no, you've been created for a purpose to bring glory to God. And so we shouldn't ever be surprised when we have this incredible encounter with God for our natural response to them, just glorify him, praise him, be in awe of him, and be obedient to him. And so when we think about this just uh, as a church, we should be asking that same question. 
How are we collectively glorifying him? And we have to keep in mind that the call to glorify God is supersedes circumstances working out in our favor. We actually see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16, it says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So even in my suffering, even in the opposition that you are going to face if you're gonna follow Jesus, you have the opportunity to still glorify him in that. Okay, and so as a church, we, we are going to glorify God. And, and, and I love how in Romans chapter 15, verses five through seven, Paul spells this out. He says this, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Okay, so, so as a church, we are going to glorify him by how we live in harmony together. And, and how we not only live in harmony together, but with one collective voice, how we glorify God together. And we're gonna make it, so we're gonna make it, we're gonna make a choice. This is going to be a value of ours that we're going to glorify God by how we treat each other here. We're going to seek to glorify him by, by how we teach. Whatever age group we are teaching to, or whether it's here on the main stage, whoever is teaching, they should be seeking to glorify God above all else. When we think about the worship, we should continually be striving to worship in a way that glorifies God. He's the purpose. He's the reason. He's the hero. And it's not only uh, by what we do up here, but it's also based upon how you and I respond collectively to the giftings that he's given us. Because if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you have been given spiritual giftings that God has, has given you and so when we think uh, about what it looks like to bring him glory, you better believe that you bring him glory by how you use your gifts. And when you use those gifts, if you give something to someone else, are you trying to get glory? Are you like, hey, just so you know, I gave that to them. They were in need. I know. I just felt like I should step up. So what'd you do? Right? So, so in, in, in that moment, when I use my giftings, I have the opportunity to glorify somebody, right? And I either use the talents, the giftings that he's given me to point people to me, to what I've done, to what I think, or ultimately to God. Because you guys, everything that you and I are going to struggle with, you know what it's based off of? It's based off of us trying to take back the glory that belongs to him. That's what we struggle with. That's what we've struggled with since the beginning of time. In Romans chapter 1, 21 through 23, it talks about how they exchanged the glory of God for these other things. 
Okay, so, so, so that's the temptation. And, and, and literally, when we think about uh, the, the choices, the decisions we uh, make and what's gonna be the basis for those decisions, um, if it's gonna be about my desires, my preferences, my opinions, my politics, my goals, and if that's gonna supersede everything else, I am exchanging glory there. I'm exchanging his glory for mine. You guys, this is literally the, the, the temptation that Satan has been uni, using since the garden. What did he say to Eve? If you do this, what? You'll be like God. Like God. Ooh, I like the sound of that. I want some of that glory. I want that glory to align with my desired will and my desired outcome and my passions, and my pursuits. And so slowly, I start to exchange the glory of God for something that works for me. And it ultimately points people to me. So we have to guard against that. We have to be against that. And so at Ecclesia, and I'm saying Ecclesia because that's where you are, we have to weigh out every decision on direction. And what's God calling us to do? Where is he calling us to go? And that's a literal prayer request because I swear we get moved like every six months right now. So direction's a big one. Um, who we hire. Man, who do we hire? The creative elements that, that we try and, and, and do to, to bring people into that place, that, to, to provide a warm environment for people to encounter God. When we, when we think about the new ministry opportunities, there are so, ministry, so many ministry opportunities. And it's like, God, ah, which one? Which is a great, a great problem. But it's still a problem. So, so we have to like weigh it through what? Does this bring glory to God? Does this bring glory to God? And if I'm desiring to glorify God, it's gonna lead me into the next core value, which is to love one another. Guys, if you will glorify God, I can say, matter of fact, you will love other people. We'll love each other well in this space. Okay, and not only in this space, but outside of these walls. Because every time we elevate God above every other person, event, or circumstance, and we say, God, you are number one in my life. You know what he causes us to do while we're in that place? He actually causes us to then look at those around us. Because he strategically placed people around us who we're going to be called to love. Uh, a lawyer asked Jesus uh, a, a question and he thought he was gonna get him in Matthew chapter 22, uh, 36 through 40. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, this is Jesus talking, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Then he says, this is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, so, he, so he clearly says, you, you place God right here. But, but, but then right after that, 
You are called to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So you can't obey the first and not the second. It doesn't work that way. Right? Because if I'm going to glorify him, he's going to call me in that to then love other people. And not just like love them. We throw that term out so loosely. Well, I don't like them, but I love them. I hear Christians say that. I'm like, that doesn't even work. Where did you come up with that? Oh, I heard another Christian say, oh. Like, no. Do we really love? Do we really love? Man, that's a question. About three weeks ago, I talked exclusively about love. And, 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 and when Jesus is talking about loving your neighbor, the lawyer then says, well, who's my neighbor in Luke's account? He, the, the lawyer asks, well, who's, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus talks about the good Samaritan. That's when he talks about the very person that they detested, that they looked down upon. That was the person. That was the example of the one who loved their neighbor as themselves. And so the love that he's going to call us to love each other with, that that's a core value of this church that you should be experiencing as a result of being here is a love that is not natural. Now, why is it not natural? Well, Ephesians chapter five, verse two, it says this. Paul says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So why is it unnatural? Because we're called to love each other in a way that reflects Christ's love for you and for me. That's not natural. It's not natural for a perfect God, a perfect and holy God to go to the cross for sinful human beings who he created. That's not natural. If, if you sit there and go, man, that makes total sense, you got problems. Because it doesn't, right? It's not natural. We, the, the outcome was not what we deserved. The love was totally different, okay? And, and it, not only was it totally different in what he demonstrated, but then what he calls us into. And so if we're gonna love as Jesus loved, cost him his life, it's going to be what? It's gonna be sacrificial, the love that we're going to be called to love each other with is going to be sacrificial. And I love how Romans 12, 9 and 10 says, and this love is going to be genuine. It's going to be genuine. And guys, the love that he's going to call us to, it's going to align with truth. I can't, I can't express this enough. Oftentimes, we, under the veil of love, say that I am not going to approach them when this person, and maybe they're at our church, maybe they're here right now, uh, maybe they're watching online, and they're literally in a pattern of self-destructiveness, and you're, and you're literally under the veil of love saying, ah, I don't want to wreck this relationship, so I don't want to talk to them. You, you guys, uh, love aligns itself with truth. It's not void of truth. Love covers a multitude of sins, but it doesn't condone sin. Okay, so in other words, out of love, if I see you in this pattern of self-destructiveness, if I see you making decisions that I know uh, points to you glorifying something else, man, in love, out of grace, I am going to approach you. That's part of loving each other. Guys, if I turn my head at my kids and they're acting in ways that are self-destructive, what am I? I'm a bad parent. That's neglect. That's not love. And, and, and so, and so let's, let's love each other well, even when we're called to go up to our friend, our family member, and just be like, man, 
I know this is going on. I know this is going on. This isn't, this isn't you. This isn't what God called you to do. Come back. And that's love. What does this look like? What could it look like in our church? Well, in Ephesians 2, we're given this picture of the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. My kids are going to love that I said aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, so what does this look like to love each other well in the context of the church? Well, the church is to be a visible picture of the coming kingdom of Jesus. Okay, so, so we should be a people that meets uh, where, where we're coming from diverse backgrounds, experiences, walks of life, and we should be able to come together in unity around the gospel. Okay, one of the things I love about this church is, is there are so many of you that are coming from different backgrounds. We're a melting pot. People ask me, people ask me every week, uh, so hey, what does your church like believe about this? And I go, man, that's a great question. You know, I think you would get a lot of different opinions on that because we, there's a lot of different people that come from different backgrounds at our church. Guys, I, I don't look at that and go, man, how do we get every single person to look and sound and talk the same? No. What I see in the gospel is that the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the church is actually how it draws around the gospel people from all different walks of life. And it can be a beautiful thing. But what we also see here is what? That what did we just read? He talks about, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And then it says, and members of the household of God. So what do we know? The church is the adopted family of God. So what does that mean in relation to, to love? Well, well, that means we're called to uh, love each other, to trust each other, to encourage each other, to care for each other, not as just acquaintances, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're a Jesus follower, you have been adopted into his family. And so, and so as a part of this church, we don't just treat each other as acquaintances, we treat each other as spiritual Family, we are family. Uh, you guys, uh, listen, and I know it's gotten a little more jacked up during COVID, but before COVID, man, with, with your family, for the most part, you are very gracious with them. You give family members one chance, two chance, <laughs> a third chance, a fourth chance. There's family members you have and you spend time with them. And if they weren't your family member, you would not even talk to them. Amen. You can be honest. If you're new, just say amen. It's, it's the truth though, right? It's the truth. So why? Why do you spend time with them? They're family. They're family. There's just something different now. It hits differently. It's deeper. Guys, we weren't called here to have this 
acquaintance-like relationship with each other. We're called to love each other as a family. See, people that, that don't follow Jesus, they should be able to look and go, man, they treat each other and they love each other differently, almost like they're family. They should be able to see that and know that there's something different and it should point them to Christ. And so we have to treat each other like that. You guys, it's not just like, oh, I think we can get along. It's no, it's how do I love them well? When they're hurting, man, I'm hurting. When they're walking through pain and suffering, man, are you walking through that with them or is this just this disconnected prayer for them? Family, it's different. And that's what we're called into. And so we're called to be hospitable to, to everybody, not just people that we say are our family. We're called to welcome people as they are, to recognize that every human bears the image of God, no matter their background, ethnicity, or status. Every single human. The church is the body of Christ, we read, where each person has different strengths, but together serves harmoniously in the world. So we're to be a picture of Christ's body. And so when we love each other well and operate in this way where we're coming together with one voice, you guys, we are uh, being an example of a healthy body. When we're not, and we're splintering off and we're, and we're not loving each other well and, and talking about each other and treating each other uh, in a way that doesn't reflect Christ's love, guess what? We are a dysfunctional body. That's not what he's called us to as a church. And so we're going to love sacrificially here. We're gonna put each other's needs ahead of our own. We're gonna look for ways to serve each other. We're gonna be hopeful in each other. We're gonna believe the best in each other. We're going to pray for each other and we're going to be available to each other. And guys, we're not going to keep score. We're not going to keep score with our love. Man, the church world is full of that. I hear it and it just makes me go, well, I did this for so-and-so, but yeah, when I was in need, they weren't there. Yeah, I, uh, I went and, uh, and I helped them move. And yeah, I just wanted to love on them. I knew they were struggling in that, but guess what? When, when I had to move, no one was there. They didn't love me. You know, I said I was praying for them, but guess what? They're not praying for me, Steve. And we'll literally keep score in our mind. And, and, and we'll say, well, I love them more than they've loved me. So now uh, I'm gonna put them over here now, or I'm not gonna look at them the same. Guys, that's not what we're called to. You better be eternally grateful that Jesus hasn't kept score with his love because it's not fair, and you and I, we would never and we could never measure up, right? But still, he loved us. And so you and I are called to replicate uh, and model that kind of love with each other, and so we're not going to, to keep score. We're not gonna create this grid and, 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 and essentially say, you've earned my love and you haven't. That goes against everything Jesus 
taught. And so as we, as we think about this, this is going to be incredible. This is going to impact not only this church, but this community, if we will love like this. And then lastly, we are going to pursue excellence. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, I love how it says this. It says, whatever you do, And it's in the context of someone who's serving uh, off a debt. Literally, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That's what Colossians 3.23. So um, when we think about working and, and whatever I do, doing it, for God. That's what we talk about pursuing excellence. It's, it's, it's going, man, um, it, if, if I'm desiring to, uh, to glorify God, if, 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 I'm, if I'm abiding in Christ, a byproduct of that is I'm going to pursue excellence or I'm going to pursue God's best. And once again, it's not going to ride on favorable circumstances. Okay, uh, you know, one of the greatest examples of this is Daniel. I just love Daniel. In, Dan, in Daniel chapter six, verse three. Now remember, Daniel has been hijacked out of his home, out of his country, and here he is in exile. He's, he's literally in another country and he's being forced fed uh, idolatry, um, uh, different kinds of schooling, different priorities, all of these things, he's being force-fed. And, 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 and so how does he operate in this? When everything's stacked against him from a religious standpoint, from a political standpoint, from, from, from all the relationships that are around him. Well, we, we read this about Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 3, it says, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Guys, we want to pursue God's best when things are working out in a way that benefits me, when life is good. But when we really see this played out is when the deck is stacked against us. It's when we respond to opposition. It's how we respond to that. And you guys, most often what we're caught up in is how do I react? How do I get ahead? How do I prove my point? And we fail to ask the question, how do I actually rise above this in pursuit of Jesus, in pursuit of his best? How do I rise above it? Guys, that's one of the things about Daniel that I see that, man, I respect, is he didn't allow all of these things to derail his primary purpose, and we see God using him and elevating him in a pagan kingdom. That's amazing. And so and so, what, what does this look like for us as a church to pursue excellence? Well, it means we're daily committed to fulfilling God's vision for ecclesia. I love uh, what Paul writes to the Philippians when he says in Philippians chapter 1, 9 and 10, it says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Okay, do you see the emphasis on the progression here? that your love may abound, what does it say? More and more with, with knowledge and all discernment, okay? So, so when we look at this, 
And, and we see this progression. It's not only a progression in love, but it's a, it's, a, it's a progression in our understanding and commitment to Jesus. So there must be at this church a commitment to lifelong discipleship. There has to be a commitment to lifelong discipleship. Okay, like, like, like discipleship goes beyond a packet. It goes beyond a person. Discipleship is a lifelong journey, becoming more like Christ. And so, man, 100%, we want you to come as you are, but also, guess what? We don't want you to stay as you are. We want to see you grow. We're committed to that. So pursuing uh, excellence, it means using and developing and growing in not only our, our understanding of who God is, but also in the exercising of the spiritual gifts that he's given to us. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, and each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And we actually read in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, that it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithful. Faithful stewardship. So when we look at all of this, you guys, doing the most and pursuing the best with what he's given you, that's godly stewardship. This is a stewardship conversation. See, pursuing excellence isn't an achievement-based value system. It's, it's saying that stewardship is a core value. We don't want to waste or not use what he's given us. Okay, when we think about the, the unique giftings that he's given uh, you and I in this church, you guys, we don't, we don't want to waste that. Uh, we want to be faithful in how we use that for him and how we respond to his leading, knowing that, that what he's going to do uh, is something that can only be explained as an act of God, not only with your life, but then collectively as a church. If we will, if we will move forward in this direction, and you better believe that finishing well is an important piece to this. Finishing well is absolutely critical we talk about pursuing excellence. Right before Jesus died in John 19, verse 30, he said, it is finished. And I tried to whittle down some of these verses, but I'm just gonna have to read them all, so I'm sorry. But these verses have deeply impacted my life and how I view finishing well. And some of you have heard some of these, but in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul is being told, don't go back to Jerusalem, you're gonna, you're gonna die. And this is his response in Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And then Paul again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then lastly, Paul says this in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, 
forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You guys, the Christian life isn't a sprint. It's a marathon that must be ran with endurance toward the goal of Christ. Persevering through suffering, through through difficulties with faithfulness. Guys, when when we think about this whole marathon mentality, you have to develop spiritual endurance because you're going to go through suffering. You're going to go through difficulties. And, and, and we want to finish. We want, like, like I, I don't know if you've ever been at a finish line uh, for like a marathon or a long race. I, I, I know that, that my wife has because she's watched me finish some of these races. And she's seen me finish a couple different ways. The very first marathon I ever ran, I literally crossed the line. And it was just 100% glory to God that I survived. There was absolutely no, I didn't even look at the time. I didn't care. I, I literally just went, praise God. I got on my knees. I have survived. That was it. But then I've also ran where I trained and was prepared and developed what I needed to develop. And I finished hard with everything I had. Guys, <laughs> We don't want to stand before Christ. We're all going to stand before him and go, well, this incredible life, these giftings that you gave to me, those were incredible. I survived. I made it. No. We want to stand before God and be like, man, every single thing, every gift, every resource that you gave me, every opportunity, man, I did everything I could, God, to pursue your best and to steward well what you gave me. And so, God, I'm tired. (laughs) I'm so thankful I'm with you, though, now. And, man, there is just something to be said about being able to finish well, you guys. And the other thing you don't want, you do not want to stand before God. I hate finishing a race and going, man, I had a lot left. I have more to give. You don't want to stand before God and just be like, God, this was great. Oh, I just broke a sweat. Like, no, you want to you do and pursue everything that he has for you. And in order to experience all that God has for you, it takes a commitment to keep in front of your mind the reality that there is a finish line. There is a finish line. There's a finish to our time on this earth. And how we finish is going to be reflective of the choices we make right now, the urgency we live with right now, what we do with the opportunities that we have right now, how we're going to respond and react when we stumble and we fall. Will we get back into the race? Because guys, I can tell you right now, you, you will stumble, you will fall, you will feel unworthy, you will make mistakes, you'll put your foot in your mouth, you'll do actions you wish you wouldn't, you'll ruin, you'll wreck relationships. Uh, But at the end of the day, the narrative Satan's going to push is you're disqualified, you're out of the race, and, and what you need to know is the person who wrote many of the verses I just read is one that described himself as the chief of all sinners. 
And so if the chief of all sinners who says, literally, God used me to just demonstrate the depth of his grace, if he can say, I have finished well, I've finished the race, you and I, regardless of your past, your background, what you've done or said, you have the opportunity to say that as well. But for a lot of you, it's going to be, will you quit when you fall, when you stumble, when you, when you veer off the trail? Will you get back on and, and, and finish? Guys, that's life. And, and, and when you think about a long-distance race, a long-distance race has a lot of decisions with it that you make throughout the race that determine the outcome. In fact, man, I remember uh, a race that I was in. And as I was running, and I've shared this before, I, I, I thought that I was there. I thought that I was literally half a mile out. And I was amazed because I wasn't in last and it was a long distance race. I was actually competitive. And, and so I take off. I mean, I'm like, here it is. This is the moment I've been waiting. And I'll never forget, as I'm running with all my might, and I'm passing people. And you better believe I'm looking at them as I pass them. Because it's all selfish. And as, as I'm passing and running, I just hear a spectator yell. And it was loud enough because I could hear it. What is he doing? <laughs> you don't ever want to hear that in a race. <laughs> and so it was loud enough to where I went, what am I doing? look that tired. Why am I sprinting by him? And I'm the only one sprinting. Well, guess what? I had over a mile left and I didn't know it. I had taken a wrong turn. And guess what? Don't go, ah, I deserved it. I mean, I had it coming. I had it coming. They were, they, they clearly tell you where the race is. I wasn't listening. And guess what? I thought I was going to die that day. I did. I literally did. They had people waiting for me at the finish line because everybody else thought I was going to die. <laughs> Man, we don't want to finish like that. But, but guess what, guys? When, when they said that, you know what I didn't do? I don't think I did. I may have passed out, but I, I, I finished. I finished. I finished. Guys, there's moments in any race where you go, oh, it's over. I'm done. I don't have anything left. For us in the Christian walk, it's usually, I did that. I stumbled again. I'm back in that addiction. I'm back in that thought. I'm back in that response. I'm back to treating people like that. And, and, and guys, you're gonna feel that. You're gonna think that. And you are gonna be loaded with this guilt from the enemy that says, you're done. No, you're not. You're not. And so I beg and I plead with you to get back up, to get back in the race. You're not disqualified in anything that's happened in this church. God is still using this church and we are determined to finish strong and to finish well. And so let's lay aside whatever weight, whatever sin is on your life and press forward, you guys. And if this isn't a core value that we fight for, guys, we're gonna be like the churches we read about in Revelation. We see the church at Laodicea was considered what? He calls them lukewarm. That's not what we're about. We have to fight against that. We don't wanna be like the church of Ephesus who had great theology, who did a lot of great things, who discerned good and godly teaching. And yet, what does it say about them? They left their first love. Man, that's a scary thought, isn't it? That we could be theologically sound and lose our first love. 
And so what that tells me is this, in your Christian walk, you aren't naturally gonna fall in love with Jesus. You're gonna be naturally falling out of love with Jesus. You're gonna have to fight for that relationship. We as a church are not naturally gonna follow the vision and the plan that God has for us, okay? We're gonna naturally fall out of it. So we have to fight for that. We gotta fight for it. And, and I'm telling you, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna fight for that. And it's gonna be tough and it's gonna require some, some difficult decisions and obedience and, and, and steps of faith, but we are going to do that. And pursuing God's best means we don't define excellence, we allow him to. And I wanna close with that thought because guys, this is his church, it's his people, it's his vision, it's his body, he's the head. And so as he enacts his vision for ecclesia, it's going to be a unique, diverse, creative, and reflection of himself. And that's a beautiful thing. But guys, I wanna, I wanna highlight uh, a few things for us this morning. We got a big 10 out there. And I'm gonna be pushing community groups. Community, we talk about community. What is community? Well, we have ecclesia communities that meet all throughout our cities. And, and, and these communities are, are people coming together. They're building, and, and, and what we define them really as is building relationships where you can be known, cared for, and grow. And we all need that. It's one of the number one things we're hearing people when they come to this church. They're like, how do I get into community? And so we have these communities that meet, uh, many of them in person, and then some as well online. Uh, and, 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 and we would love for you to join and be a part of a community, especially like if you don't have one. You need that in your life. And so when we think about uh, the different communities that we have, the opportunities that you have to meet with other people, some of the communities out there, they're sermon-based. In other words, they take uh, different uh, high-level questions from the sermons I teach, and they send that out, and, and the group discusses those questions and walks through that together. There are others that meet, and they're, they're specifically going through a section of Scripture, a book of the Bible, or maybe a particular study. And then we also have some that are just based upon special interests or times in life. Like, I know there's some for young families, and that, that's a unique time. Uh, and, and so there's all these different opportunities. And so what I want to encourage you with is to go over to that tent after the gathering. If you have questions, ask those questions. If God's uh, calling you to sign up and join and be a part of a community, join and sign up. If he's calling you to lead a community, talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe he's just saying you should host a community. We need places to host. So that's a real uh, need. But here's what I want to challenge you with. Try it for 10 weeks. Try it for 10 weeks. Listen, we're not saying if it doesn't work out, you never should be in community again. No, it just didn't work out. You need community though. So if you've been in one in the past and you're like, eh, it didn't really work out, man, start a new one. Be a part of a new one. Okay, try it out. But I would encourage you, try it for 10 weeks. And like I said, if, it, if it's in person or whether, whether right now you're being more cautious, maybe it's an online one. You can start that. You can create that. You can be a part of that. And, and, and here's the other thing I want you to hear. I have shared a lot of opportunities for this church in the last three weeks, which is exciting. I love that. I missed it the last year and a half. And so all these things are happening. But here's what I want you to know. There is not an expectation that you're going to do all of these things. We can't get up here and say we value the family if the expectation is you're never with your family. 
okay? So you have to discern prayerfully what you can do and can't do right now. And guess what? Some of these things, you may go, this works for me right now. Some of these, you may go, this doesn't work for my schedule right now, but maybe later. Or it may even be about somebody else where God places someone else on your heart and you go, man, this would be great for them as well. Okay, so, so go through that process and think about that. But right now, I want all of, all of us, as we just close our time together, to just bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want us to think right now, in this moment, and I want you to ask yourself, how is my life glorifying God? How are my thoughts, my words, my actions, my responses to people? How is it glorifying God? And is it? Or who is it glorifying? I want you to think about how you're loving other people. Are you loving other people well right now in a way that reflects Christ's love for you? And if not, why not? Have you gotten caught up in keeping score? Have you just deemed certain people as unworthy of that love? And then lastly, are you pursuing God's best for you right now? his excellence with your, your time, your talents, your treasure, with everything about who you are. Are you saying, God, it's all yours. Use me. God, I want to finish well.